Welcome to the Tabletop Sportcast. I'm your host, James Cast. Today is April 1st, 2023. And no fooling, I've got a great episode for you. Episode 110 is a. Uh, am sitting down with Cooper Gilbert. Cooper and I sat down and talked about homebrew rules and had a good conversation, talked about a lot of different games, and it's a fairly lengthy interview, so we're going to jump right into the interview uh, in just a couple seconds. But as I always do, first and foremost, if you've got some topic ideas, questions about any of the episodes, or just want to tell me about some of your latest projects, uh, send me an email at tabletopsportcast at gmail.com. If you want to check out the latest from my tabletop, head on over to facebook.com backslash tabletop sportcast. And finally, if you'd like to help support the podcast, $1 a month goes a long way to helping to offset costs. And you can do that over at patreon.com backslash tabletop sportcast. And right after I post this, I'll be posting a patron only episode for all those patrons. So they'll get a double dose today. All right, let's jump right in now to the interview with Cooper Gilbert. All right, I am sitting down today with Cooper Gilbert. Uh, Cooper, uh, obviously we've got a chance to meet each other at uh, Play.com, but why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and kind of your history with tabletop sport gaming. Uh, well, I, um, you and I actually go back a little bit before we met up at the play.com. Do you remember that? It's true. It was the, the, uh, the, uh, owner's choice for history maker baseball. (laughs) Yep. Um, that was before we ever met in person, but you were, you were a main component in that, uh, co-op project. Uh, myself, I, uh, you know, I was somebody that started out. Um, as a kid watching my dad play electric football, then I started playing electric football and like tracking stats and things like that. And, um, saw some cheap game in like a dime store that was like this football game with a spinner, real basic and instantly wanted it. Like, you know, I instantly had all these ideas about, oh, I could take all my fictional leagues that. I just go outside with a Nerf football and play these fictional football games with like, you know, this whole league and I can actually make them play with this game. And, you know, then my next thought was, well, I could actually do it a lot better than that little piece of plastic in there. So the first, my first experience with tabletop gaming, I pretty much thought I invented the hobby. I thought I was the only person in the world that did this, you know, uh, until my, my father saw what I was doing. He got me, I think, Stratomatic Baseball first. I got Stratomatic Baseball and football at about the same time when I was a kid. And that just opened up the whole, you know, it was like, oh my God, so many people do this. And there's people that make this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, it took off from there. Um, I, I think that I'm a, a lot like a lot of the gamers in, in our age group where, you know, there was kind of the, a little boom of the hobby in the 80s where I got into the stuff that you could get at either KB stores or at a comic store or whatever. Got really into Stratomatic, Status Pro, those kinds of things. And then by the time I was busy in high school or went off to college, you know, kind of put the hobby down. Um, 
and and this is a theme I remember hearing this from other guests. I, I remember Harvey Couch saying pretty much the same story, like put it down for a while, came back to it. And, you know, when I first came back to the hobby, it was like, well, I need something that that is easy to do with a small footprint and I can do it while there's other stuff going on. So, of course, I got into more of the computerized games like you're out of the park or the or the PC ports of, you know, uh, Stratomatic was in a couple leagues and then just really missed the tactile component of playing tabletop card and dice. And it was about that time that that I discovered history maker baseball first and, and play games in general. And that really, really brought me full scale back into the tabletop hobby, especially because of the strength of the community, both on Facebook. And then once we started, you know, going to the cons in Denver every summer, I was like, all right, that's, this is it. This is, uh, yeah, this is my thing now. So. Yeah, that is, uh, that is a very familiar story for so many people who are in our kind of age group and, uh, I remember, like, you know, like, barely had really good computers, like, as I went off to college, you know, like, I mean, we had, like, the Commodore 64s and stuff like that, but they didn't really have, like, the high-powered, like, sports games just yet, you know, like, I remember Micro League Baseball being, like, one of the first, like, wow, like, that I had that, but I remember, like, in college, I met some guy that was playing Status Pro Baseball, and I was blown away when he was like, yeah, I've got this, like, spreadsheet. I didn't even know what a spreadsheet really yeah. was at that point. But he was yeah. showing me, like, how he had organized this thing. And I was like, man, like, that's cool. And I was almost like, man, I wish I had that game with me right now. <laughs> right, right, yeah. No, I remember taking uh, Stratomatic games to college and trying to get other people to play. And it, it just didn't it didn't fly in the dorms. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what are you going to do, right? yeah. So we talk, you know, I titled this episode's titled around homebrews, right? But like, homebrew is kind of a broad definition. Like, what what would you define like as we as you sit down? Like, I think you've got a, a really good definition for like what homebrewing is, or 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 maybe better defining the scope of what homebrew really means. Yeah, I mean, to me, they're just the terms that I use. But when I think of homebrew, I think of custom content that that you make as a gamer that doesn't necessarily or at least doesn't directly impact the way the game engine works it's it's uh material that you're making to supplement your experience so you know a lot of us homebrew cards we rate our own players you know you make a season that um that isn't published or you make uh career cards for people um or you can take uh currently existing cards and and you know I, the term a lot of people use is reskin them. You know, the, the basic thing a lot of people do will be like add custom colors. But I mean, you know, it goes. You know, you take a look at some of the stuff like Bob Hansen puts on in our community, in, in the play community, or the the fast drive football community. Um, Daniel, I don't know how to say his last name. It's Forcier or Forcier. He does fantastic stuff in in the time travel baseball community with just taking uh, the data that's already there and presenting it you know, in a custom and, and really appealing way. Um, so that's another kind of homebrew. Um, and then, you know, people, will, another term that gets used is like house rules. And, and somebody will say, well, you can house rule that. And, and to me, a house rule is some kind of, you know, a rule system or a module or something that you make up that basically defines how the project's going to run, but again, doesn't necessarily tinker with the game engine itself. 
Um, so house rules, you know, I think of like Bob Hanson again has a house rule for one of his baseball projects where the batting order is the eight position players. The pitcher doesn't hit. There's no DH. It's just an eight man order. Well, that's a house rule. It doesn't matter what game engine you're using. That's just the way that his sport, you know, his league works. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, various forms of tinkering, um, which is, you know, when you, when you and I kind of kicked around the idea of, of doing this topic, this is what was coming to my mind is tinkering where you're doing something where you're actually either adding something um, to a game engine or you are omitting some part of the game engine or um, revising the game engine or you're taking the game engine and making like spinoff product. Um, so that to me is tinkering where you're you're doing something with the game engine. You're being creative. Yeah, good call. So when you get a new game, when does your brain start doing the tinkering approach? Because you are more of a tinkerer, I think. Oh, I'm absolutely a tinkerer. You know, it's it's funny. I think that there's, you know, you hate to be like, well, there's two kinds of people. But I, it tends to be the way I look at it. You know, there's the, uh, there are people like me, and I, I know just from the communities that, that there's a lot of people that do this. You get a game, and if it's a, really creative take on a game and it's something I really like, I'm immediately like sometimes before I even start reading the rules, if, I, if it's if there's a good enough summary online or a demo, I'm already thinking about things I can do with it. Um, you know, like I, to me, it's an interactive, creative process. So if it's a really solid game that I really like a lot, I have a notebook or a spreadsheet open or something. And as I'm looking through the rules, I can't help but have ideas about where I want to take that game engine, what I want to do with it. There's other games that aren't like that. I mean, you pick it up, you go, and you can it, it can be a great game that you really like, but it is what it is, and you just kind of stay within in the lines. But And when talk about two, two different people, when you start saying, hey, I start tinkering with the game right out of the box, like, as soon as I have it, there's a lot of people that fall in another camp that are it's sort of the color within the lines camp, you know, it's, it's the rules are the rules, trust the game designer, um, play it the way it's designed. You know, the question that you get is why are you trying to fix it before you've even played it? Um, but I, to me that there's an assumption there that I think is unfair. There's this assumption that if you're tinkering, you're trying to fix something. There's an assumption that if you're being creative with the game engine, you must think it's broken or that you can do it better. And I never look at it that way. You know, I look at it more like the game engine is pointing out something to me that's like, oh, wow, this is great. I could apply it this way or this game engine gives me the opportunity to make this happen. So that to me is the tinkering thing. Um, and I'll point out one other thing on that is... I guess my philosophy on the, on the tinkering right out of the box is it helps me appreciate the game more in the long run because I'll come up with pages of ideas and spend sometimes hours coming up with these modules and these concepts. I almost never use any of them. It, it, you know, it, it kind of comes around full circle and you either realize, oh, yeah, the game just works great this way or, you know, it's just the, the fun is in the creation and when it comes time to play the game, I'll stick to the... To the way things are on you know 90 percent of the stuff that i'm writing down yeah yeah i'm definitely more of the color within the lines kind of a guy and, yeah and i was gonna ask i was gonna ask yeah. when you... <laughs> yep yep because listen i listen to um 
a very recent episode of the show. I don't think it was the last one, but the one where you talked about the top five um, endurance pitcher fatigue systems. And I'm thinking the whole time, well, what have you done? You know, like <laughs> I'm thinking, James, you must have ideas. You must like look at games. You're like, I could take what Status Pro does and I could make it work. You know, like does that ever, do you ever get that, uh, that inclination to like, Hey, I can home, you know, I, I can tinker here. I can homebrew there. I definitely do. Um, I remember, uh, early on with history maker baseball, even right. Like I, I, st I created a card set with the New York Mets. Like it was like, kind of like an all time great single seasons of the New York Mets. And on the cards, I put, um, batters faced averages for each of the pitchers. Right. So like, and I was going to work towards those numbers. And mm -hmm. I did that for a little while, but then I, you know, and then the more, I, but when I was playing with the card sets from like play, I was staying true to their game. And after a while I was like, you know, the system works just fine. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's that was funny. A, that I was a good example of like me go, jumping in pretty early and being like, I think I can do this better, like right out of the gate. So, and I think history maker baseball is a great example of this, that it's, for a lot of us, it's it's sort of the gateway out of the more traditional, hard number driven game like that Stratomatic or something like that, and into more of that blue sky uh, narrative game. It's just a whole different, it's almost like left brain, right brain kind of thing. And when you first walk through that door and you start playing games like the stuff that play does, it's it can be a tough transition for people. It, you know, it takes a little bit of time for you to wrap your, your brain around it. And I think a lot of us pick up that game and we're like, this is brilliant. This does so many things. And, you know, even the color within the lines, people are trying to tweak it in the beginning. You know, like another person that I consider to be kind of a color within the lines person is, is Al Wilson. And, you know, <laughs> whenever, whenever I get a response from him, like, just trust the get the rules are the rules. I like to point out that one of the earliest, like, community material things that were posted was he had a system to uh, boil down the fielding, the, the golden iron fielding rating and split it between, uh, like, fielding percentage and you know, range or something like that. So <laughs> I'm like, see, so you do it too, Al. But <laughs> yeah, right. I, but that's what I mean. Like history maker baseball is so brilliant. It's so different. And when you first experience it, your mind just starts being like, wow, there's so many things I could do with this. Especially the idea that a lot of like, to your point, like a lot of us were coming from other baseball games that were much more complex, like had a lot more charts or a lot more rules that you had to follow to execute a play. And then you came to History Maker Baseball and you were like, this game's too simple. Like you almost felt like you needed to add more things like, you know, people are adding like, we need a better stolen base system or we need a better fielding right. system. And right. all those things like you. It's actually in there if I just trust it. Right. But, and, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, too, like uh, the interview I did with like S.T. Patrick and we were talking about second season and he was saying it's like I forget what his term was, but he was basically saying like second season is like the ultimate football game because I can't really think of what's wrong with second season. Whereas with baseball, like 
probably all of us who play a lot of these different baseball games can say like, well, this game does that part better than this than the others because yeah. each one of them adds yeah. that little flavor to it, right? Right. Everything's got its own little twist. But again, I, I tend not to come at it from the what's wrong with it. But a lot of times there's something that I want to see a game do that none of the games do. Um, and then a game will come along that the game engine is just set. It's just handing it to you on a platter. The, the example I would give you, um, I was watching a postseason game a few years ago. I, I remember the Rays were in it. Because the guy on third base, I can't remember who he was. He was a fast guy. Tried to steal home. And he was out. But, I mean, it was like, it was really close. And the announcers brought up some, somebody had, one of them had done research on what the stolen base percentage was for a straight steal over, like, the past 100 years. And it's a lot higher than most board games give it. Because an actual straight steal is somewhere between, successful somewhere between one-third and one-half of the time. The reason statistically it's so low is most of the things that get recorded as a straight steal are actually like botched suicide squeeze attempts or whatever, where the guy's just dead to rights and he's just out. And that bogs the percentage down. And for us, as people that have been watching baseball for the last couple of decades, nobody ever does that. I and mean, nobody tries to steal home anymore. So we don't, it's hard to even conceive of, you know, that was kind of mind blowing when that guy took off. Um, yeah. But it points out that like stealing home is sort of this crime of opportunity. Like, you got to have a specific type of runner, but more importantly, you have to have the defense that's basically just taking it for granted he's not going to go, and they kind of fall asleep on the play. So if you try and engineer that into most games, you're like, well, I'm going to have to make a roll to see if the defense isn't. And it's got to be something really rare, and it's just really cumbersome. But if like time travel baseball has a, 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 a transient quality where a team can be a careless defense, and there's runners that are rated as daring, and there's this gamble deck, which is like this parallel part of the game engine that comes up on some rolls. And in that gamble deck are these undefined wild cards. And I'm like, you can take one of those wild cards and basically say the lead runner, if he's daring, can try and steal the next base on a 50-50 check. You, you pull the gamble card, and if it's green, he's safe. If he's red, it's out. You wouldn't do that if he was going to steal second or third because that's lower odds than anywhere else. But you might do it in the right situation if the guy's on third. And again, if you you know, if you knew the game engine, it's not gonna come up that much. But every once in a while, Jackie Robinson's standing on third and somebody's not paying attention and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. That's a good call. I like that. Um so, you know, for me a little bit too, like I say color within the lines is kind of where my sweet spot is. But I also think there's a lot for me where I, I get a game and whether it's because of abstraction or something else, like where I tend to start to say, like, what can I do to fill this? You know, because I feel like it's almost like a lot of games, I think, leave an open invitation to say, we're not going to tell you exactly how to do this thing right now. Like you figure that out for yourself a little bit. Right. So that's where I tend to start to think like, what can I do in this space to, to fill that gray space? And, you know, it's like, okay, it's my game. I'm going to make the rule here. Uh, right. Do you, do you have a tendency to do that? Well, so I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question on this. Cause there's two directions I can see. I, I have a feeling I can come up an example that I think, you might be talking about and that you've addressed 
way back in a previous episode. Like in okay. History Maker Baseball, they will have the um, well, they have the ground ball to either first base or third base. It's you know one B slash three B. I there's like ground out to choice infielder is another result. Is this the gray area that you're talking about? That is definitely one of them, right? Like uh, I definitely that's a place where I definitely have come up with my own homebrew rule, and I think it's a place where a lot of other people start to do some tink, yeah, or homebrewing as well. So it's a good example one for sure. And and to me, I don't need to fill that space in. Like, I keep scoring a score sheet or in an app like iScore, or I've been playing around with, uh, um, oh, God, now I can't remember that. What's the digital diamond, I think? Digital um, The one that's on. Yep. So I've been playing around with keeping score on that. And that's nice. And, and you put in the fielder. So if I get ground ball to choice infielder, I just choose one. It's like, you know, I picture the game happening and – it's just whatever my mind sees is is what I go with because ultimately, history maker baseball is not trying to accurately reproduce ground ball distribution within a certain. Well, it that's not important, you know. Is it a double play? Is it a fielder? That's what's important. So that kind of gray area, I I don't have a problem with. I'm I don't think I'm really coming up with stuff to fill in gray areas. Like I said, it's more like I'm using the game engine to as it sparks creativity in, in me. So um, instead of gray areas, it's like I might expand something because no game engine does something and, and this one could, or I do a lot of spinoff projects. Um, like I know that you gave, uh, gave one of my projects a spin. The um, I tend to think of it as the pitcher batter gauntlet thing where you take 10 pitchers, 10 batters, and each pitcher faces the 10 batters um, for like 10 outs. And the batter basically keeps batting and serves his own, as his own runner. Um, and that was a fun little thing to do with the Hall of Fame set. And I know you did some spinoff of that. I so, did, yeah. Good point. So that would be sort of a, a house rule homebrew. You know, like I basically used the, the game engine. You had to make a couple of tweaks to make it work, but it was really just a whole spin-off project. Yeah. Yeah, when it came to, like, the, um, like, choice infielder kind of thing, like, for me, yeah. it almost became a way for me to speed up play was to say, here's how I'm going to do this every single time, right? And leave, take the doubt away and just be like, okay, I'm going to look at the batter's hand and I'm going to say, okay, well, first and third is based on which hand are you, you know? And if you're a switch hitter, you, which way would you be batting in that case? And then yeah, I, when it's I will really admit. choice, I do it where if it's in the main chart I, in History Maker Baseball, I keep it to second base shortstop. And if I'm on one of the like drama charts or one of the you know rare result kind of charts, then it, first and third is usually what I do from like the infielders. But I know a lot of people yeah. have also decided like I'm going to create like a dice rolling system to determine so they – to your point, get the exact distribution that they want, right? So right, and and uh, yeah, to me, uh, you talk about gray. Or I'm okay with gray. You know, <laughs> I, I can fill in the gray just fine. I, I don't need to roll on it. I get it. I mean, when I'm playing a game that spells everything out, part of the fun is to track how you know realistic that ends up being. So if I'm playing Stratomatic and it tells me exactly what field I'm recording that. In theory, I'll go back. I never do. I'm never going to look at it. You know? 
Right. It's always a theory. So do you enjoy game design? And, and do you think that that factors into, like, when you decide, like, you're going to try some of these, like, homebrew or tinkering? Well, so do I enjoy game design? I, I think I'm probably what you would call a frustrated game designer in that nothing I start really ever gets finished. Um, I, I mean, you test drove a little project that I was running for a while that I felt like got about 95% of the way there. And there were a couple of things that I was having a really hard time uh, dialing in. And now it's just kind of indefinitely shelved. Um, it, it was it was the quick series baseball game thing where I, part of me is like, you know, I could it needs to be revamped. I could pick it up again and, and turn it over in my brain. But I feel like there's other stuff coming down the pipe or that's already shown up that basically does the same thing and does it better. So why bother? But yeah, I'm pretty much always working on something. I just know there's almost no chance it's going to reach the point where, well, no game's ever really done, is it? But it's never even going to reach the point where it would go past me just handing it to a couple people and saying, try this out. <laughs> yeah. I how about you? How about you? I know you've, you've got a few things that you've had on the burner for a bit. I do, and I and similar to you, like one, I, I that's finding the time for it is always a struggle. Right? So I think that's that's one of the first things I struggle with is is what am I going to do? Am I going to play the games, or am I going to work on a game? And I yeah. tend to want to go towards playing the games. Um, but yeah, like I'm I'm constantly trying to develop different ideas for different games, and um, some of them just get to the idea of like a jotting down the ideas and, and kind of like a, an idea, a grand scheme of it. And then as soon as I tactical about it, I'm like, this doesn't work at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got two or three that I'm gotten further along on. And I have right now I have two main ones that I'm really trying to focus in on. And, and a third one that I'm going back and forth, like, which way do I want to go with it? So like, obviously I've got the uh, fury stakes that I was working on yep. the horse racing game that, um, I got derailed on that one because I've been trying to solve for the historical side of it, which is unfamiliar territory for me, but like, I've been trying to explore that so that it's not just a fictional game. I think I need to true back to just work on the fictional game and just leave it at that for the time being. Um, and then I had a game that I had actually done like a Kickstarter on years ago and it, it was a small one. I just wanted to play around with like, what does Kickstarter look like? So I had this like basic thing that was like a $5 game, but it's about recreating the four minute mile like with Roger Bannister. Yeah. Um, I remember you saying something about that a while back. On a, yeah. So I had, I just recently was trying to, because it's one of the games that I plan on doing with this historical event thing that I have that I want to recreate his historic run again. And I was like, I had, so I've recently come up with some ideas on how I'm going to make that game into more of a strategic decision-making game rather yeah. than just a roll the die to see if I can get it to happen the right way. Um, so, so is I'm this going to, not to, I'm not saying that you're piggybacking off of anything, but like I'm immediately thinking, well, you know, there's Aviatrix, which has this decision-making thing where you have to thread the needle to get something that seems impossible. I, I, I'll, I'll go a little bit into it, right? Like, um, so here's what the concept is, and I haven't done enough to see if it works tactically, right? But 
the idea will be like, you know, when you're running that, when he's running that mile, right, he has a rabbit that's trying to pace him. And he's going to have like his coach or referee at the at the lap marker telling him where he is time wise. Right. So there's a part of it in there in between as he's going around the track where he has to trust that the rabbit's doing his job. Right. And he has to trust that the coach is giving him good information or the ref's giving him good information when he gets there. So my thought is I want to bring like a card system into it that has like fast, slow and on pace cards that you would just randomly assign and you wouldn't be able to look at those until you got through right. a certain point. And then you would know, like, has the rabbit done what I need him to do? And there will be points where like early in the race, you have to make the decision like, Ooh, I rolled where I can run a faster pace, but do I want to do that right now? Or do I just want to maintain pace? And there'll be like, right. Cause system. I'm assuming there'd be a risk, risk reward there for it's like a risk reward it, where you can get a yeah. chip for holding back on the pace because that's what he's supposed to be doing or you could you know risk a chip to say i need to go faster so the idea would be like if i do my job early i can get some chips to use later in the race when the rabbit's right. off the track and i gotta run against the clock now right but what if the rabbit doesn't do their job or what if the coach is giving you bad information? So there'll be like an opportunity for the coach to maybe be too fast or too slow and give you bad information. And there's an opportunity for the rabbit to run the wrong pace. And then right. there goes my shot. Right. <laughs> right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I have to see how that yeah. will play so, out. So let me ask you this. How much sleep do you lose over this kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> um not a lot but enough <laughs> yeah i mean and i guess I, I hear myself ask that question and it sounds like i'm worried about you know that's not it at all it's more like i have nights where i don't sleep much because i get excited about a concept and i just lay there thinking about it and then i doze off and i wake up thinking about it more you know and yeah. Uh, yeah. There's times that I have to step away from a project because I, I, I'm just too much in my head about what I'm working on, and it's fun, but it it, it creates problems. <laughs> it's interesting because you point, say you spend like, more. Yeah, like with the Fury Stakes, with the horse racing game, like to your point about the Quick Series Baseball, like I feel like I got that one like a really far distance. You know, it's really close to being like a good game. I think it's a playable right. game as it is right now, right? But I need to just make it a little bit better. But there were definitely times where I was just like, I'd lay in bed and like, my wife's like, you know, are you, you're not tired? I'm like, no, my brain's working. I'm like, I got to get up. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> brain's working. I computer and start doing like two hours worth of work. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, it's 2.30 in the morning. This is not a good move. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> I know that feeling exactly. Yeah, totally. <laughs> So let's see. Um, one of the things you did, which I thought was really successful, was I forget what we called it, but like the three and one approach for second season, second season express and fast drive football. Right. You had right kind of created, um, you know, just wanted to talk about that and talk about how that came about, because I think that was one of your most successful, like kind of like, ooh, I think I can solve for a problem here. a little. Yeah, it was probably the most acknowledged um yeah, that's a good way to say it. you know and it, if you remember um before keith released second season express there was the 
I always get the name wrong, but there was that module that I believe he made that was like the final minute draw. It wasn't the final minute. It was like the final five minutes or something like that. It was for full play uh, second season where or did it go with express? I don't remember, but it was basically like it took the game to like that last five minutes and then you kind of zoomed in. And that zoom in concept was really compelling to me because like when I went back to um, PC games in my journey back, you know, that's one thing that I noticed is a lot of the baseball games in particular had what I consider to be aspects where you could zoom in or zoom out. You know, you could quick play to a specific inning or if a key batter was coming up at a key moment, you could go instead of the usual event scale of batter by batter, you could change the a setting on the program and watch pitch by pitch. Um, and I like that idea that you could zoom in or zoom out. It was kind of like how you watch a real sporting event. Sometimes you sit down and you pay really intent attention, and other times you kind of walk away and put away the groceries. And to me, that was kind of the differences between second season full play express and fast track football. I was like, these can all work together to have a specific event. And, you know, one of the things that I would watch Keith's streams where he would go switch between express and full play or, or, or that final five minute drama thing. And it was like, well, where do you put the ball? And, and how do you know what the game situation is? So that was all that was. And, and, you know, it's three, different game engines. I mean, obviously Express and Second Season use the same cards. They're kind of using all the same system. And Fast Drive Football, of course, has the field position categories. So being able to get those to overlap and fit together and get the clock to fit together, it was just a useful tool. Again, that's so that really does, that is something where it kind of fills in the gray area, but I felt like it needed, to me, to be able to do the zoom in, zoom out, I needed something to fill in that, that gray area. So and it was very gratifying that Keith recognized it and that we did a stream with it. And I mean, that was a lot of fun. So. Yeah. And I thought it was a really good tool. And like, I've even seen like adaptations on it too, right? Like, um, you know, Harvey had tried it and then I tried it where, um, I was like, I've been doing this like Barry Sanders replay and yep. I only care about what Barry Sanders does. Right. Right. Uh, um, and he tried it and he's like, hey, you know, like you could just do like express for the other team's offense and then come back to full play when the Lions have it. And I was like, yeah, I'm doing that. And I started doing it. Yeah. And um, even Reggie Bauer's utility now allows you to go take that zoom in, zoom out approach with with express and second. Season. Yeah, which is so great. Yeah, it is because I was like, man, instead of spending two hours playing this game. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be able to play it in under an hour because the other team's drive is like, how did they do? They're done? Good. Right. Let's go back to Barry. <laughs> and the other kind of utility that I saw for that, and I don't remember if I ever explained this in anything that I wrote about it or not when I first put it out there. One of the things that kills me is you can be really into a game. You can be playing full play second season, be really into it, and then life happens and you have to step away. And the game's kind of stuck there in limbo. And things happen, and now it's time to come back to the game three days later, two weeks later, whatever, and you're not into that specific contest anymore. You know, you, 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 your attention is just not – you don't care that it's three minutes into the third quarter. At one time, you were really into it. Now it's like – and now it's on the table. You feel bad. You, you don't want to clear the table off. You're stuck in limbo. 
if you just zoom out and play the rest of it in fast track football, you can finish the game and move on, and and it's a quick resolution. So, yeah. In fact, one of the game, the last game I played with the Barry Sanders, he got hurt at, at the in the towards the end of the first half, and it's like he's out for the game. So what am I doing here now? <laughs> right. So James, right. I, I don't know We're if you're. I don't know if you're familiar with the agile principles of project management or, or not, but we, we call that embracing change. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I kid, I kid. <laughs> well played, well played. <laughs> <laughs> so let, what are some of your personal favorite kind of like tinkering or homebrew rules that you've done for some, some of your, some of your favorite games? Um, I, the thing that I think I come back to the most that I really enjoy that, that, that makes the game work great for me is, um, the stuff that some of the things that I've done with fairy football, um, like the, I've got the house rule about the initiative chip or you can call it the strategy token, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, the alternating possession of who gets to use a, um, strategy card. It clears up some conflict there, and it adds a little bit of strategy in the way I play it, where a team loses the chip if they play a strategy card, but they also lose it if they commit a turnover on offense. And, of course, if you've played Fury Football, you're always at risk of create of generating a turnover, which means if you've got that chip, there's there's incentive to use it as soon as you can. So that that works great. I'm happy with that. That is a great system. I actually use that now with Fury Football as well. Um, yeah. And it does. It forces you to say, like, hmm, because you know you have a risky offense. Right. Turnovers are going to happen. Like, what do I do? Should I play one of these strategy cards? Like, I got the chip. Do I take advantage right now? And, like, in a close game, you might do that. When you're up a few, you might be like, oh, I'm okay with losing strategy. <laughs> what? Right. And initially, I didn't have that whole turnover feature, and I found that when a stronger team had the lead, I I was just inclined to have them sit on the chip. Yeah. I was like, I need some way for it to be at, at, at risk and in play. So I think you were right because I even did it initially without the turnover piece. And that's what was happening. It was like, now I'm not yeah. using any strategy cards because this guy doesn't need to give it up. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> that's a really good one. Um, I think one of my favorites has been, and I mentioned it on the show in the past, but, uh, and I, again, it's in that gray space, right? But it's like when when I play racing, um, yeah. anybody who has a chip at the end of the race gets a TV driver, is a TV driver for the next race. It's like okay. you didn't get a chance to use that chip, so here's the bonus you get for it. Is like you're going to be on the TV chart, and I and I actually think it works with the narrative because it's almost like, hey, that guy was making a move. He didn't quite make it at the end of the race, but you know, yeah, you can totally see that race. in the in the promos. <laughs> Uh, pushing the you know the next week's broadcast like oh yeah dusty so and so was coming on strong at the end of what yeah no i that that works that's exactly right so that was a good one that i had um what's one that uh you've adopted from somebody else that you were like oh that's just too good not to use well i'll tell you that i i think that this kind of comes back to the one of those moments where I really came around to accept how history maker baseball works. Like I, I was at the very first con, I believe it was in 2018 riding the subway to the Rockies game. 
that we all went to. You you weren't at that one yet, I don't think. I was not. No. But I was riding with Travis Jansen, who at that point in time I barely knew, and uh, you know I think I was going off about um, you know this system I was really high on for, for expanding bunts in, in in that game and and using player qualities for bunts, and I had this chart and I was really happy about it. And he basically told me um, something to the effect of, I like to tinker with the strategy stuff, but if it doesn't, if it's not, if you can't fit it on a single strategy card, it's not worth using. And, you know, I initially rebelled against that, but I really came around to appreciate that's how it, you know, there's an elegance to History Maker Baseball, there's a consistency, and that makes sense. So coming around to that, I actually use a lot of the strategy cards that he has made. If I'm not mistaken, he's the one that came up with the um, video replay strategy card. Uh, I think he and Al Wilson worked on a strategy card that slightly tweaks stealing bases, but it still fits on a card. So, you know, that that's a good one. So... <laughs> I like those because they work really well and they kind of remind me of, you know, self-editing. That's good. That is good. I was trying to think of one that I, you know, I, I the one I would actually is the one you talked about earlier was the one that I was going to say was, was that fairy football one. Because I really think that that's just like, it was really such a good one in terms of like the uh, strategy chip. Like, Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, like I said, I'm, I'm happy with that one. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, that one we were because we were going back and forth about um, Fury Fury Hardball. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like, you know, our group was discussing like, hey, the fighting versus the not fighting. And yeah. I thought you had a really good approach there, too. Right. About like thinking about it and less about injury um, and more about like maybe just a warning to the pitcher. And it's not about the fighting. But the result ended right. up being like the same thing. It was a little different, like spin on the narrative, right? It's more like it's more like a penalty. I mean, this was on top of a whole conversation where where a few of us were talking about exactly how to visualize what's happening. Um, but the culmination of that was, you know, like if we're picturing it more like wiffle ball, you're not going to charge the mound because somebody hits you with with a wiffle ball. But if there's a rule that that prevents you from coming inside all the time and trying to control your pitches, that if you if you hit a guy, you're at risk of getting ejected, then that changes things. And, and that's kind of where that came in. And the idea that you would have a role that maybe the batter leaned outside of his box to get hit, in which case he could be at risk. So, yeah, I yeah. I know we were we were there's there's a group of us that were like, yeah, the, the fighting part just doesn't work <laughs> for us. But that's right. That's right. So. I think one other thing that we wanted to touch on, too, that we had discussed was, um, you know, uh, this idea of, like, the etiquette of homebrews, right? And, and yeah. tinkering with the game engine. Um, you had one really good idea, which was about when you're sharing your results. You want to, like, talk about that when, you, when, you're, when you're doing the tinkering? So I, I, I think it's really important that if you are tinkering you're you're making changes that impact the way the game engine works keep in mind you're also potentially impacting the types of results that you're getting which is fine that may be what you want but you may also be having some unintended consequences or even if they are intended consequences i think it's best practice if you're going to post those type of results at all be very 
forthcoming in whatever kind of tweaks you made in your project. Because otherwise, if I come out and I say, hey, you know what? I got the 1983 Marinus to go 98 and whatever, you know, in my replay. And people are going to look at it. And if somebody's, if, if I'm saying, hey, I did it in History Maker Baseball, people are going to look at that. And if they're thinking, I might want to check out this, because I just got this great review on uh, Dice Tower. I'm checking it out. And here's this guy that says he replayed the 70 or the 83 Mariners and they won 98. That's not realistic at all. And suddenly you, you, you know, you may be turning people off because you're generating stuff that doesn't, that makes the game look like it doesn't make sense. But really what's probably happening is it's, it's a result of your own tweaks. So to me, if you're going to make changes and then post results, make sure that you're saying, Hey, you know what? I have some homebrewed rules. I I've made tweaks. Um, the other thing that I think is really important is if you make custom content, um, be careful in the tone that you present it in, you know, like it's, it's, it can often come across, I, I get it. Like if you come up with something that's really cool, you're excited and you want to show it off and you want to share it with other people. And I think you come at it from this point of view, like if I'm excited about it, other people, are, and it's going to stir other people's ideas. And this is how the community thrives. Sometimes it comes off as you're saying, I did something better than what the game designer came up with. And honestly, I, that's never how I feel about it. I think that, you know, I see other people put stuff up and it might come across that way. I'm sure that's not where it's coming from. You just want to be sensitive. And I think my other big etiquette point is that I know people will come up with homebrew content, a supplemental content, whether it's seasons that haven't been published, um, different material for games that haven't been published yet, uh, even like a fictional module for a game. I think it's really important to reach out to the game designer and see how they feel about you posting that material publicly. Number one reason is they may be working on that already. They may be already planning on publishing the season you're thinking about making, you know, your homebrew public, or you may have come up with a fictional module and they're already doing that. <laughs> so, uh, and, and in most cases, I think they'll politely say, you know, just so you know, I'm working on something really similar. I, I kind of appreciate, you know, whatever. I, I don't know how they'd phrase it, but I think it's just better practice if you're going to be posting that kind of material about somebody else's game, reach out to them and, and, and kind of, you know, get them to sign off on it first. Do you have anything to add to that, James? No, I think first, I'll, I'll stick with the first point first to say, like, you know, I had done that 2019 Mets replay. And like, one of the things I was boasting about was like, hey, like, I got Pete Alonzo to hit 70 home runs. Like, Right. It was a, it was a pretty decent increase because he was like what like fifty three I think that year uh, in reality, and you know one of the things that I had done differently there, even though I was pretty much using the team as is, like I ran my season starting with the worst team in Major League Baseball and worked my way up to the best team. So those first like thirty or forty games, I was playing crap teams and yeah. I was running off really long winning streaks. I was always on the game day chart, like sunny chart. And as a result, like, my team had, like, extra hot hitters or guys were getting extra bonuses. And Yeah, that's a really good point. Yep. It tweaked the game engine, right? Like, I was running pretty hot. Now, later in the season, it wasn't working as well, right? And 
Um, I think he even got hurt for like the last 15 games or so, but he had already gotten as high as he did and was generating enough runs that like, I think he, even though he missed the last 15 games uh, and in reality, I think he actually played like 160 games that year, but I had already reached his like same at bat limit. Right. Even though he played 15 fewer games because we were scoring so many runs early on and he was able to take advantage of that. Right. So it was a way that I had, it wasn't a lot. I was using the game engine, but setting up the schedule the way I did means meant it wasn't the same as when he played, you know, I didn't have to face the Braves like every couple of weeks. I was, I saw them at the end of the season. <laughs> right. After, yeah. No, that's a good point. And that's one of those things that that may have had an unintended game, an unintended consequence on, on the outcome, on the stats. And you yeah. can look at it retroactively, but I just think about people that might put in, a custom system for how stolen, but you know, they, they might ignore the, the, uh, the, the two, it's two, six, six, right. The, um, guy getting thrown out thing. Well, all of a sudden everybody's got stolen base percentages that are like over 85, you know, it's like, uh, little tweaks like that can make big differences in stats. Mm. And, And that's fine if that's what you like in your project, but if you present it as this is what the game engine produces, it can turn off other people. Or, like, you know, you're playing with the Red Sox from, like, the 40s, and, like, Ted Williams is sitting this day. No, I'm putting him in the lineup. Like, well, your offense is going to produce yeah. more than it did before because you're taking the best hitter and putting it back in there, you know? So, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Things like that you have to be really careful about. Um, I think you're right about, like, the content. Like, I think most of the time a lot of us are doing what the game designers really are limited in. Like, like a lot of times when I'm, like, as you said, reskinning the cards – what I'm doing is I'm going to like, I want to put the Mets emblem on the, on the car yeah. and the game right. designers most of the time don't want to pay the licensing fees. And I'm not right. going to run into trouble with that because I'm making it for myself. Right. So I might share exactly, that on yeah. the site and it's like, Oh, look what I created. I don't think I'm stepping on anybody's toes, but then if I want to say like, Oh, you know, history maker baseball, they don't have the 63 season. I want to make the 63 season. Like, I do that quick check, and and I even did that. I forget who I did it with, but we created like some Negro League cards, and I was like, let's just make sure we're not stepping in anything here. And yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's an excellent thing to do because, for all you know, that's like going to be the next big release. Oh, we're releasing, you know, fourteen seasons of the Negro Leagues, and then, you know, you put out half of them, and it's like, well, maybe we won't do that because <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's already there. Exactly. Um, okay. Any final thoughts here? Anything we forgot to cover that you were thinking about? Um, well, I mean, I, you know, I think that it's just important for us to recognize how much great community created content is already out there. Um, and you know, like Keith on, on plays website recently updated, um, the free stuff, which is a lot of community generated content. Paul Salzgaber um, reorganized something on the Google Drive that has even more uh, kind of archived free stuff. Well, you know, community-generated content. And that's just for the play games. Lots of other games have – Time Travel Baseball has a ton of community-generated stuff. Um, You know, it's not just me that does this. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just me that tinkers. It's not just me that homebrews. There's a lot of great stuff out there. So – yeah, tabletopsports.com um, I, is a great resource. Like, yeah, yeah. 
exist anymore, but I used to use like the Yahoo groups a lot to get a lot of available content. So there, there was a lot of resources out there, especially for games that are no longer in print, you know, and people are just trying to keep that game alive by creating additional content. So um, there is a lot of places you can go out there for sure. Yeah. So, and I think finally, I'd like to thank you for creating another aspect of community content with this podcast. Cause I think it really, not only is it great to hear other people, it's just great to hear somebody talk about what we do, you know, and it gives different perspectives. And as much as I might give you grief over the agile, agile principles, I find myself thinking in those terms when I'm like, why didn't this co-op project work? And, and why did this? And, I, and then I'm analyzing it in terms of agile principles. I'm like, I should have done that, you know. So again, thank you for this. I think it's a, it's a great thing that I, I'm hoping more and more people discover it and enjoy it. Well, that would be awesome. And I, you know, I, I will throw a little jab in because I think my best win is the frustration that Al Wilson has that he can't say he put the game on his table anymore. He has to say tabletop. So yeah, <laughs> it's great. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right, Cooper, you have a good night. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks a lot, James. It was a blast. I'll connect All with right. you again soon. All right, thanks. All right, bye-bye. All right, that's a wrap on this week's episode. Uh, I want to thank Cooper once again for sitting down with me and talking about homebrew rules. And you can tell his passion for it. Um, some of the great points made during the interview is, you know, when we're when we're tinkering with games, when we're creating these new rules. There's a lot of different approaches to it. Um, I think you heard Cooper and I both have a little different approach at times. I think he's right though. I think when you sit around and you start to tinker around with a game or you know try to play with the game engine a little bit, you really do gain a greater appreciation for that game. And whether you're filling in the gray space or whether you're trying to figure out how to solve for maybe something that the game didn't solve for, um, it's always about just trying to bring your appreciation of a sport into whatever game you're playing. So I think we do this on different levels, um, but it's all about embracing the game and trying to find our connection to it. So. Um, Really good topic. Uh, really appreciate Cooper uh, sitting in. So, what's coming up next week? Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna do an inside look at Hockey Blast. Uh, it's been a while since I had Hockey Blast on the table, but um, it's start to get back into rotation as I kick off my quarterly project with the 2020-21 New York Rangers. So. We're going to do an inside look at Hockey Blast um, and starting to really formalize the plan for the second quarter here. Got some really good things lined up. I think you're going to be really excited. So stick around and keep tuning in. And thank you for listening.